Hi, this is 10 Minutes to Better Patient Communication. I'm Dr. Anne-Marie Liebel, and it's a digital health episode. It's easy to think about technology and machines as objective, neutral, value-free, right? It's just my phone. It's just my watch. It's easy to forget that the programs in that tech are built on the knowledge, values, and assumptions of humans. Just this week, a TED Radio Hour podcast on NPR and an article in the AMA's Journal of Ethics remind us that human judgment is still the basis for the machines that surround us. Yes, tech is designed and built by humans with our far-from-objective worldviews, assumptions, and blind spots. So when these blind spots make it into the tech, there's plenty of room for things to go wrong. In this episode, my brother Joe, a health IT pro, and I take a look at a recent Time magazine article about research into bias in artificial intelligence. And as it turns out, the way forward is something digital health and health literacy folks could agree on. Welcome to 10 Minutes to Better Patient Communication with Dr. Anne-Marie Liebel. Providing you with tips and strategies you can use to improve your patient engagement. Hi and welcome. I'm here with my brother Joe, whose voice you just heard. It's good to be on mic with you again, Joe. Yes, hi. Great to be here, Anne-Marie. Yeah, glad you're here. So we're here, we're going to talk about um, something that we both read, that we both had something to say about, that we hope you'll appreciate. There was a recent issue of Time Magazine that was guest edited by Ava DuVernay, and there was an article in it by Joy Bulamwini about artificial intelligence and how it can be discriminatory. And she talks about her research at MIT into AI systems that were sold by the big names in tech, right? IBM, Microsoft, Amazon. And these were given the task of guessing the gender of a face. And all of the companies that she studied performed substantially better on male faces than female faces. And what's more, race came into the issue because the companies she evaluated had error rates of no more than 1% for lighter-skinned men, but for darker-skinned women, the errors jumped to 35%. This article focuses on machine learning systems, right? Artificial intelligence. But for me, This is about questioning assumptions. Right. And in my experience, any project, any systems development, one of the artifacts, one of the cornerstones of it is a business requirements document or functional requirements spec. And in that is a a section on assumptions. Really? True. Yes. (laughs) Now, these are, it may seem like a surprise, these are often sections that are written once, read once, and then until they get into the the technical requirements but they're there. And I think with what Ms. Bulamwini uh, is really underscoring is the importance of those assumptions. Give us the full picture because only then do you know if you can have success or something less than that with it, with a system. That's funny. That reminds me of um, some software developers I was working with recently said, oh yeah, 20-something white guys are really good at making mm-hmm. apps for 20-something white guys. Sure, yeah. So the assumptions about the users 
get built into the products kind of early in the design phase, you're saying, before maybe design's even begun. Right. When you're saying, what must this system do? Uh, some of those assumptions would be, who must it do it for? Mm. And just to draw a comparison here between systems, and I must say, just full disclosure, I'm more accustomed to working on systems that have a, a closed-end user community. So a defined, it's going to be this group of sales reps or this group of home office users okay. versus systems that are wide open for the general population. Okay. The the app that scans your face and unlocks your iPhone is one of those general population ones. Right. So it's in those that we must be much more aware of the diversity of the, the human population uh, when it comes to making assumptions, when it comes to testing. That's right. From a health literacy perspective, I think I come into this because all the major federal agencies are professional organizations that have written recommendations on how to write health literate apps or how to observe, let's say, health literacy practice guidelines when you're developing consumer-facing digital health tools. All of them agree in the importance of having diverse communities when you're at all points in the development process and the user testing process. So we kind of know that this is the way it should be done, but I think as usual there's kind of a kind of a lag in uptake by industry. I agree and what Ms. Bulamwini does in, in uh, quite well is exposes what what she calls the uh, the exclusion overhead, which she defines as the cost of systems uh, that don't take into account the diversity of, of humanity. And in her article, she reveals these uh, you know, quite, uh, quite ef effectively. And that's not to say that um, facial re recognition technology is doomed to failure. It's quite an <laughs> achievement at this point to be able to have engineers be able to create this, this, this technology. Sure, I can imagine how exciting it must have been where it yeah. was like, whoa, we got this to recognize a face. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. That sounds incredibly complicated. Right, and I think very few technologies are, are introduced fully formed. Huh. So, you know, to her point, yeah, you got it to do that. Don't stop there. Uh, you know, continue to refine a technology before it's, it's seen as this panacea, before it's ready for prime time. Now, I don't think that Ms. Bulamwini or you are suggesting that you go ahead and test your product on the world before you go ahead and roll it out. Oh, yeah, absolutely not. And it's, it's but it, 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 it will suggest is that define who your users are, um, you know, to bring this back to, um, to healthcare app applications. Uh, I know firsthand there's plenty of patient data out there that's available to help uh, create a, a user community profile, hmm. depending on if you're working with certain disease, disease classes. Uh, so that you don't have to go and feel like you have to test your app on the world population, you know, <laughs> to, to make sure it's been thoroughly tested. That's really not feasible or practical. But there's certainly patient data out there that can be used to create a, a profile um, in terms of race, gender, age, so that when you're uh, s selecting the community that uh, you know, your your community of users, your your, your test users, yes that you have a knowledge of that, and that's done with more accuracy. That makes a lot of sense. It always bothered me as an educator when you get that phrase, what works, 
because I think (laughs) a lot of educators are going to say, well, what works for whom? Under what circumstances? So I think in the rush to go ahead and bring things to light, um, we can run into problems about the assumptions, about the users, um, who these people are, like you said, race, class, and gender, but also language, culture, power. And those are health literacy issues as well as healthcare issues and related to disparities. And that's part of what digital health is supposed to be helping with right now and reducing health disparities. I appreciate talking about this with you, Joe. It was funny. At the end of the article, there were a few sentences that seemed to grab kind of both of our attention. We both said that we appreciated the way that Ms. Bulamwini kind of pulled the article together. She said, the underrepresentation of women and people of color in technology and the undersampling of these groups in the data that shapes AI has led to the creation of technology that is optimized for a small portion of the world. Right, the 20-something white guys writing apps for 20-something white guys. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, and for me, I think my big takeaways are, in addition to her, her, what I mentioned earlier about her idea of exclusion overhead, um, you know, the cost of systems that don't take into uh, account the diversity of of humanity was a statement she made later in the article that uh, these types of systems most adversely affect people who are rarely in the positions to develop them. Back to your example of who develops versus who who uses the right, right. So I guess overall we're looking at you know if you're going to roll out something, you're going to design something, or maybe you're not the people who are making it. Maybe you're thinking about purchasing it, adopting it, recommending it. Let's take a look at the assumptions about the users that were built into the design process. Let's see who was left out of these conversations. Who wasn't this tested on? You know. Who's it working for and who's it really not working so well for right now? Yeah, and I think it's incumbent on these technology providers to evaluate that full picture of the successes and the shortcomings of their solution. You can celebrate the successes. You can continue to work on and refine the shortcomings. I appreciate that. This has been 10 Minutes to Better Patient Communication. I'm Dr. Anne-Marie Liebel. And I'm Joe. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to 10 Minutes to Better Patient Communication from Health Communication Partners, LLC. Find us at healthcommunicationpartners.com.